today on Compassion Radio. They came with a tractor. I have the videos. It's funny. My car is like fully <laughs> in the mud. Since that visit, on the way to Cherson, I always stop at the village and then go to Cherson. You have a second home in Cherson now. Oh, yes. This is part of my heart. It's those kinds of havens, those ports of refuge along the way. God surprises you with new relationships or friendships, stories that you're going to remember the rest of your life. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So begins the most famous line and probably the most famous book in the English language. Hi, Ram Floria here for part three of an important update from the front lines of faith, and sometimes from behind enemy lines. A hero of the faith, Oksana Gorbanova, has taken the words of Jesus very seriously in the midst of incredible stress and danger. You'll hear it in her voice throughout this conversation. As her husband defends the homeland from the trenches in sight of Russian artillery, Oksana herself might have an even more dangerous job, smuggling relief supplies into orphanages and isolated villages caught between both armies. When Charles Dickens wrote his epic novel of the French Revolution, it was a living memory for many people. The tale of two cities gave context and meaning to an historical event that changed Europe profoundly. It was also the story of great struggle for meaning in tragedy and sacrifice. Who knows who will write the epic of our generation in this tale of two countries when it finally plays itself out? Will we read words like Dickens sets before us? It was the age of wisdom, the age of foolishness. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. The future history of Ukraine hangs on the power of faithful people to overcome impossible odds, to love others more than self to die to self that others might live. The future of hope itself is in the hands of people like Oksana Gorbanova and, frankly, in the hands of people like you as you stand with those serving like Christ where he's needed so desperately. If you missed any of our earlier conversation, you can find all three episodes in our website podcast archive. It's all at CompassionRadio.com. We pick up a conversation right where we left off yesterday. And I do believe that God, in first contact, shall we say, reaches out to people to answer the prayers they're able to pray, and that as they grow in their faith, however, if they get to it, that God starts expanding their courage in the kind of things they pray for. And, you know, I talked with Olas, our friend, who had lost his good friend, about the deeper things. When you go deeper into this faith and you have to survive something that is unjust, is unreasonable, is unreal in its horror— and you come out the other side, the why questions don't matter as much anymore because some mysteries will never be resolved in our lifetime. And yet we have to make the decisions about what our prayer means. What are we expecting of God? Are we waiting for him to fix something or are we wanting him? And I do think that those who are deepest in their faith, so to speak, they know the worst could happen to them or might or will. And when it does, when the if happens and becomes the thing that is, where is God in that? And do I want him to be there? Do I want to be with him in this? Do I want him to be near me when the worst happens? And that's the kind of thing that I think that most people would describe as the question about what real faith is going to be. Is it going to be something where even loss cannot break it? 
but that it is real because it now has entered into the suffering that Jesus knows about, you know. What's your experience with those who have gone deeper in their faith and how they're able to express it? What lessons are they learning right now? It's hard to say, like, I'll give you, like, exact example, because on the front lines, we don't have time to talk much, because usually you just do things what you have to do. Yeah, that's true. But for example, like, they do their rotations, and this is one unit that I told you, I have a friend, he's from Finland. All the way from Finland, huh? And he's here since the beginning of the war. He was wounded a year ago, mm. survived, and he still talk about it as a second birth. Yeah. He speaks Ukrainian, what is amazing me. Like, I mean, that the person can learn Ukrainian for that short time. But I'm asking him, like, what are you doing in my country? And he said, I'm protecting it. And said, why you protect my country? He said, we hate Russians historically. <laughs> like, I didn't have a choice. The Finns have had their own battles, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, but also I was looking for this country and for these people all my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to leave this country. He's not Christian, but he wrote me today in the morning because they have a rotation right now. They moved a little bit back from the front line for like rest for a month Mm -hmm. and for training. And he wrote me like, oh, we started the day at 6 a.m. with a prayer. The whole battalion was like me and pray. And I'm like, I want to see this picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you take a picture or video for me? And his answer was surprising for me. He said, no, it's a prayer. I don't want to do anything during the prayer. And it was like, you know, even like for me, being Christian, I would do the picture of that. But the person that never been a Christian before, having that kind of respect. And he said, we start the day every day like this. And like, no, I'm sorry, Oksana, with all my respect, I cannot take you a picture of the prayer because we concentrate on a prayer. And I'm like, yes. This is actually, I don't need a picture, you know. Two words in English come to mind there, solemnity and reverence. I don't know each of them. (laughs) The words are pretty simple. Solemnity just means that something is solemn and serious. Uh, mm -hmm. You feel the weightiness of the moment. And reverence means our response emotionally to that moment is one of saying, with awe and respect, I acknowledge who we are acknowledging together. Yes, going back to the war, I mean, like, every day happening so much. So it's even hard to, like, remember. I'm, like, really feel sorry for myself that I'm not doing any notes because, like, it's been the separate life for these two years. And I even losing some faces and people in my head. And some, sometimes, like, people, as I told you, that the help, they calling me or writing me to say things. I, I don't know who are they. I don't remember them. Some people are sending me pictures that they give birth and sending the kids because they help them being pregnant. And, and of course, I don't remember them, you know, because so many. And the same thing here. I'm scared to start. I'm not going to my contact list or my, my contact book because I just don't want to realize how many people I don't have already. And it just probably the hardest thing that all the volunteers or people who've been actively involved in this, they will need to face in the end. And sometimes we're joking with the volunteers that we will need to be yeah. treated, <laughs> going through the medical rehabilitation and psychological rehabilitation because all of us, this unit is being, he calls me soldier as well because he said, you've been on front lines sometimes more than some of the soldiers because like some volunteers spend more time on front lines. So yes. I don't know. I'm happy I'm still finding the sources. I'm happy I have people helping me still going. Even like I was going from the gym today, right before our call. 
and there is a young IT guy from my office. Mm-hmm. Like three of us are going like to the same gym, so we decided to go by one car, you know, just taking the gasoline. And he asked, like, "What you doing right. when you feel that you run out of sources on, of energy inside? I mean, how you keep yourself go?" And mm-hmm. that's what I said. Like, time, mm-hmm. time was God. Time was yourself and the right people around. Now, Laksana, I hear you in saying that there are some things where if you open up every corner of your heart at once, you may not be able to gather it back together. That's a fair thing. I mean, there's going to be times for griefs and remembrances of people you've lost. And no, I would not sit here as your friend from 7,000 miles away and ask you to catalog all of the hurt or to say, give me the names of everybody you've lost. I don't want to go there with you either. I want there to be the ability to function. So I do want to, as God enables you to, be able to tell the stories of the people that have beautifully served and have sacrificed. And this is not the time for every story to be told, is it? It's a time for faithful doing. You do the faithful thing, and what you mentioned briefly along the way was that one of the things you do from the front is evacuate the children and the pets. So the things that the military does not focus on or should not focus on because they have to take care of the soldiers to make sure that the mission is accomplished, there is collateral damage all around them. People like you are the ones that bring them out. You know, their ambulances can't carry this one. Can you take this one? And you do. So I would ask you, before we close out this conversation, which, by the way, has been phenomenal, <laughs> can you tell me some of the happy moments? What are the happiest memories you have of the past, say, three or four months? Things that may have surprised you. Talking about the animals, and I remember, I don't know if you saw that I have a video I will send you. I did. I was helping. I was not focused on the animals, but I did help them because there was like families that was begging mm-hmm. to bring like a dog or cat because most people were leaving their homes thinking that they're going to come back in a couple of weeks and it didn't happen. Right. So. I do have a video of one family they were asking me so much and I agreed to bring a dog and they were living in Poland. So it was interesting because the dog was staying with another family and I took the dog to the Warsaw and the family, the mom and the child was traveling five hours by train to get to the Warsaw and I came to the Warsaw at 2 a.m. at night. And we discussed that we're going to meet on a train station. And I have a video and I'm pulling this dog. And, you know, the dog is scared because she already gets used to in my car. Mm-hmm. And they are running to us, the mom and the daughter. And dog was so crazy scared because he did not recognize them at the first. And the dog was like trying to run away. But, you know, I was holding the mm. leash and she even, sorry for the words, she even peed. She was so scared. And that video that, like, on some point, the dog is realized who is this. And, like, they both crying, and the dog is happy. And this reunion in the, in the middle of the night in the train station, that was something that say, I have on my phone, but it stays on my head. But for the last three months, yeah. three, four months, when the, when the dump was bombed in Kherson, I was there the second, the second mm-hmm. day. We are helping the volunteers who are saving from the water. And there is a church in Cherson that started to feed people right away. They still cooking every day and feed those in need. And uh, I came with the food for them and the medicine and the insulin. They asked me to bring some insulin because they had the people who was dependent from insulin. Every time when I go, I plan my trips that they go on Saturday. We deliver everything that needed on Saturday. 
we spend the night with the orphans. We have like um um how to call it that uh I'm losing words, I'm sorry, this words. I'm losing simple words. No, like simple words I always knew. It's just like my brain is That's fine. So we stay in there's like a normal apartment that's for age out orphans. A group home. Yeah, yeah, like like a center, you know, for them. It's, you know, the most of them like eighteen, nineteen, whatever. And they're waiting for me, they know when I come, they always wait for me so we can play Uno or something. They play games. <laughs> And it's funny when you play games and you still hear the shelling in the city. Mm. So we played Uno, we spent the night, and the next uh, day I got a message from one of my friends from New York Times. He's actually the like bodyguard for New York Times. He used to be a military. Okay. And he, was, he came in the beginning of the war with New York Times here to Ukraine, and he saw the situation of the Ukrainian kids. So he went back to Great Britain. He started his own nonprofit to save Ukrainian kids. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And now, back to the broadcast. So he went back to Great Britain. He started his own nonprofit to save Ukrainian kids. And between the work, he's coming every time to Ukraine to help the kids and orphans. And he's right now in Ukraine and will go to the orphanage in a couple next days. So he sent me a message that, Aksana, are you in Cherson? And I'm like, yes. He said, I'm like 30 kilometers from here. Can we meet? And I'm like, send me a pin. So he sent me a pin and I showed him to my Kherson church and then said, does anyone go to this village? And she said, no, they've been under occupation twice. I said, okay, can you load my car with everything possible you have? I will drive there. And there was like, right after the dump was bombed and there was like Sunday and since morning it was like constant rain. So it's like water mm. on water. So. I'm driving with one of my friends from the office. He was in that trip with me. And I'm the only one driver. So we're driving to that village. And we did not meet even one car. We did not see mm. anyone alive on the way to that village. So we came to that village. We met with those guys. We brought them medicine, food, and, you know, mm. bread. And I still have the pictures. But so we greet them. We hug them. We talk to them. We exchange the contacts, what was good and was smart from my side. Mm. So we were leaving the village, like small village had been twice under occupation. And because I had the GPS, I was not need to go back to Kherson and I was need to another direction because I was going to Kiev. And GPS like showed me the, you know, it's not my area where I live. So I don't know all the roads, right? right. So I just trust the GPS. So I'm leaving the main road and I'm like, drove like 10 meters or 15 meters and I'm realizing that not be possible to drive through that road and I started to turn and I'm stuck in the mud. I could not even like move. Oh, no. So 
there is like constant rain, me and the one guy from the office, and we are in the field of her son. And oh, we went man. to the field to pull the weeds, to try to put under the wheels just to help that. So we were working more than an hour on the getting our car out, but it didn't work. So we decided to go to the village and ask for help. And on the way to the village, I remember that I saved the number of the, of the lady from the village. So yeah. I called her and she's like, oh, like dears, of course we will help you. We have a tractor. They came with a tractor. I have the videos. It's funny. My car is like <laughs> fully in the mud and they pulled us out. But this is the situation. We helped them. They helped us since that visit. We visited them already three times. So we, yes. we keep the contacts, we come in, they send us they need, what they need. And I go to Kherson, it's like on the way to Kherson, I always stop at the village and then go to Kherson. You have a second home in Kherson now. Oh, yes, this is part of my heart. It's those kinds of havens, those places, those ports of refuge that you know along the way that God has got you something and he surprises you with new relationships or friendships and stories that you experience together that you're going to remember the rest of your life. It is a blessing. It's hard to say that the war gave me, but one of the good things that I can say that the war brought to my life, this is the new people and new connections that they have. And actually, yes. quality people, quality relationship. And it's between uh, military, volunteers, civilians. It doesn't matter. The people that you will give your life for, the people that you will stand with, the people that you will protect with your own body if it's needed. So, yes. I mean, this is yeah, this is something. Well, Oksana, you have laid yourself on the altar of God's desires and his plan, and you trust him to take you where it will benefit the kingdom the most. And I know that you have to literally put your children on that altar too. say, God, whatever you call or demand of me, take care of my children. And you have faithful people to stand around you that are your insurance should something happen to exactly. you. Exactly. Yes. Um, it's not fair and it's not just that a mother like you should have to be leaving beautiful children behind to go save the orphans of somebody else's family who had to die. This will never be right, but you are living righteously in this time. I do want our Compassion Radio listeners to be thinking about this because we're going to be asking them to be giving as much as they can to help. I will have our people praying for you and. To Fred and his system here, we'll find the best gift we can give toward the work that you do and your friends that do the work every day. And I'm just honored to know you. And thank you for so much time you spent with us and all the stories you're willing to tell. I know you're living on adrenaline most of the time and the stories come out rapid fire because you always seem to be and always feel like you're short of time. <laughs> and I understand that. I was just reminded today that the word crisis in English is crisis in Greek, which means decision or judgment. It doesn't mean an impossible place that you're lost in. Mm -hmm. It means a time that requires us to make decisions and to make wise judgments. The implication is that we would actually choose to do something which is wise and which is noble and which serves. All the fruit of the Spirit can spill out during times of crisis. I think you're doing a marvelous job at that. I don't know how much longer, you know, God will give me or how much longer I will live, but I want to make a decision to use this, or I want to make a decision to use today yes. for the purpose. So like every day you do make that decision that today when I leave or today I want to become a little bit better of my version yesterday or, you know, and yeah. everyone has things where you want to improve, but 
yeah, so this is a day, everyday decision. I'm sorry if I'm keeping you up way late tonight. I'm always short of sleep, <laughs> but I'm, it's fine. I still have the homework to check and, you know, and some of my or work to do. But thank you for, I'm really thankful for my friends, like for you and for other foreigners, for those who are asking, who are interesting, who really have the pain and, you know, like want to know what's really going on. Because sometimes like really Ukraine feels like everyone's forget about us. Like the whole world is living their own life and we are fighting here with this. With this, same time with this war, every one of us, and I'm now like, Mostly, probably Ukrainians, but Russians as well. Yes. As I told you, almost all of us have families there and here. We do have the own inside yes. battle. Like for my husband, his family in Russia, and he's staying in the Ukrainian army, and they both Christian, and his mom Christian. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's that kind of battle that probably the hardest. Because, like, mom was told as a Christian that you need to pray for your mm-hmm. authorities, and she still does pray for Putin and all the rest. And here in Ukraine, it's hard to understand how you can still pray for, you know, like all that kind of understanding of how you still can pray for that kind of uh, president or something. So I think inside battle is more important as soon as you will your inside battle, you will win the rest. Yeah, it does seem like that scripture when Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. It's an obvious, impossible statement. And it always baffles me sometimes that Jesus would say things that were so outlandish. But I've learned a little bit in my lifetime that God never demands something of us that he doesn't plan to fulfill with his own power, that it would accomplish something in us that goes beyond what is humanly possible, that we literally get to enter into the divine to be with God and his work and his spirit and understand him because we said yes to what is impossible. And you seem to be saying yes to the impossible day by day, and it's become part of your lifestyle. I honor you for that. And I do pray that God will bring you through many more of these trips and many more pit stops in those little villages outside of Kherson City, and that you will continue to build relationships, that God will bring back the year that the locusts have destroyed, and that what Ukraine becomes, what the kingdom of God becomes in Eastern Europe and throughout the Caucasus and up through Russia and the Urals and east from there, all the places where seem to be so impossible to reach are going to someday become the highways of God's grace moving east and west. That's, that's what I believe in, that really, that Ukraine will be beginning of something like more important, more, you know, like the light that will spread to the rest of the country around. You said before the mom and kids, and I always joke because you are not the first one who are saying that, and I'm usually joking that my kids are saving me. Because if I will not have kids, I would be fighting (laughs) on front lines for kids are saving me and keep me here in Kiev. So They hold you back from your most angry responses, I suppose. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They are worth living for, for sure. And your kingdom is definitely worth giving for. And I want our listeners at Compassion Radio to feel the same way. That it's worth giving to those who are living the gospel out. So it's just great to hear you alive and well, so to speak, and facing the challenges with great grace. So I hope you won't hesitate to send me notes from time to time about how things are progressing. And perhaps we'll have a chance to actually get an update more often than just once a year. Yeah, but if I lost the uh, like track of time, you can always remind me or like ping me. It's <laughs> fine. Okay, I can try that too. I'm sometimes really lost. I'm sometimes I even don't remember what the date. 
right now, but it's fine. Yeah, I get that. You've been very gracious to us with your time today, Oksana. Again, we've had Oksana Gorbanova from Ukraine with us for the past couple of programs. And learn more about her work and about how we can support them by checking out CompassionRadio.com. And I look forward to seeing you pop up in many more positive videos and seeing much more laughter in your life. So thank you again, Oksana, for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Radio is still the radio voice of the global church, and that's completely due to the Lord's provision through you. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com or call us at 1-800-868-2478 or write us P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877.